Daniel chapter 7. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God does indeed endure forever. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, was raised up on one side. It had ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was, as, was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the, pe- the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, 
There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of the Lord. This is indeed a fascinating chapter. It has been my joy and my privilege to study it this week. I've learned a lot, far more than I can fit into one sermon today. But I can tell you this once again. I believe this chapter is less about the beasts, who they are, who they represent, when they come, what they do. Those, there are important lessons there, and I hope that we will see them. But I believe this chapter is less about the beasts and more about the Son of Man. Who he is, what he does, it's fascinating, it's life-changing. Once again, we have this display of the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. So I want to give you the main point right up front, and then we'll get into it. The way I phrase the main point is this. Do not fear or serve the beasts or become like them. For their doom is sure. Instead, fear and serve and worship the Son of Man and become like Him, for He alone can give you His everlasting kingdom. This book of Daniel was written to God's people when they were having one of the most painful experiences in their history. They had been taken as slaves to Babylon. Daniel is essentially a prisoner of war. Psalm 137 gives us some insight into how hard this time was for God's people. Psalm 137 says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required us required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying sing us one of the songs of Zion how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land God's people were held captive they were tormented they wept I think it's easy for us to forget this it's easy for us to forget how painful this was for Daniel and for his friends and for all of God's people We read about Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah being rescued from the fiery furnace. We read about Daniel being rescued from the den of lions. And we think how amazing that is. That God showed his power and rescued these men. And we forget they had been taken from their 
homes taken from their families. They had lost everything. They weren't just refugees. They were slaves. They had been stolen. They had been taken against their will. Many of their loved ones had been put to death. If you want to get a sense for how bad it was, we read the end of Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. And what had they done? The last verse of Psalm 137 gives us some insight. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. It's an awful image. It was common practice in those days when you conquered a land, when you conquered a people, you put the little children to death. It's awful. This is what God's people had suffered through. And so Daniel 7 is a message to God's people who are in the midst of that kind of suffering. It's a message for us today as well. And the message is this, do not fear or serve the beasts or become like them. Their doom is sure. Fear and serve and worship the Son of Man and become like him. He alone can rescue you. He alone can bring you into his everlasting kingdom. The first half of the book of Daniel tells us the stories of Daniel and his three friends, what they faced, how they were faithful to God, how God was faithful to them and protected them. The second half of the book, which begins here in chapter 7, which we start today, this gives us Daniel's visions of the future. And the main message of these visions is that like Babylon, many wicked kingdoms will rise up. They will do evil in the world, even as they do today. But one day, God's kingdom would come. It will humble all other kingdoms before him. And this is a repeated message throughout the book of Daniel. Some of this might sound familiar to you through our our study of the first six chapters. But it was a repeated message because God's people needed to hear it over and over and over again. Every day. Because every day they were suffering. Every day they were under oppression. Every day they were in exile. And they needed to keep this truth before their eyes. They needed to know. And we need to know today This is not how it ends. There is a coming kingdom where God reigns and where we reign with him. One Lutheran pastor in Germany during the horrors of Hitler's beastly reign wrote to encourage God's people in the midst of that suffering. And he said this, if the last hour belongs to God, we do not need to fear the next moment. If the last hour belongs to God, we do not need to fear the next moment. And indeed, that next moment and every moment in between also belongs to our great God. Well, this second half of the book of Daniel is an example of apocalyptic literature. It was a common form of literature among the Jews at that time. Apocalypse means to reveal. And this literature is often filled with wild symbols and images, as it is here as you heard as we read chapter 7. And in, these, in the Bible, those images often tend to connect back to earlier portions of Scripture, especially the first 
11 chapters or so of Genesis. This vision of Daniel 7 points us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Think about that, how God created the beasts of the field, and God also created human beings. How were they different? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made us in his image. He gave us dominion over the beast. He called us to rule on his behalf. When we fail to do so, when we fail to rule as God designed, we become like beasts ourselves. That's what we see in chapter 7 of Daniel. This vision also shows us the Son of Man, the true human to come, who will rule on God's behalf as God designed, who will conquer the beasts and bring about his kingdom on earth. Again, the point is, do not serve or fear the beasts. Don't become like them. Their doom is sure. Fear and serve and worship the Son of Man. Become like him. He alone can bring you into his everlasting kingdom. Let's take a look at three aspects of this vision. The beast, the ancient of days, and the son of man. So first, the beast. This, again, I think this chapter is more terrifying than chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. What do we have here? We have a vision of all of humanity in the den of the super beasts. These terrifying images, one like a lion with eagle's wings, one like a ferocious, hungry bear with bones in its teeth, one like a leopard with four wings, and then a final, terrifying super beast with iron teeth and bronze claws. There's a terror here that Daniel feels, but there's also a hope in the midst of the terror for the saints of the Most High will be saved. They will be rescued, not by an angel come to close the mouths of the lions, but by one like a son of man who will be trampled upon in order to rescue his people. The beast will be destroyed and the son will be raised. At the end of Daniel 7, we come to this end of the section of this book that is written in Aramaic. If you were here for the beginning of the study, you might remember we said at the start of chapter 2, the book is written in Aramaic all the way through here at the end of chapter 7. It helps set off this section. It helps us see the outline, the structure of the book, how chapters 2 and 7 go together. Remember, 3 and 6, 4 and 5 are parallel, and now we're back here to chapter 7, corresponding with chapter 2. What did we have in chapter 2? We had King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Remember his dream, a statue with four medals, representing four kingdoms. Most commentators see them as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. What do we have here in chapter 7? We have Daniel's vision, four beasts representing four kingdoms, likely the same four. Chapter 2 we saw from maybe a human perspective, whereas chapter 7 we see from God's perspective. We can talk about those images just briefly, the lion with eagle's wings. Many see that as referring to not only the kingdom of Babylon, but specifically Nebuchadnezzar. When the wings are plucked off, it's this image of Nebuchadnezzar when he lost his mind and he is living in the fields as a beast. But then a mind of man is given to him, his, his restoration. 
the bear referring to the Medo-Persian empire, raised on one side, one empire stronger than the other. The leopard with four wings seems to indicate the kingdom of Greece and the speed in which it conquered the world under Alexander the Great. And then the super beast with iron teeth, many see it referring to Rome, but perhaps more than just Rome, as we'll see. This last, this fourth beast stands out in contrast to the rest. It's terrifying. It's dreadful. It's exceedingly strong. And so it may represent the last kingdom on earth before God replaces all human kingdoms. The point is the beasts represent powerful, oppressive kingdoms. And the last one is the worst of them all. It does include this vision of a little horn that rises up. There's something unique and powerful about it. And some say that it refers to the man of lawlessness that's mentioned in Thessalonians or to the Antichrist that is mentioned throughout the New Testament. The Apostle John tells us many Antichrists have come. And so I don't think it's for us to identify or speculate with precision who this might be. The point's not necessarily to identify this kingdoms, whether they match a certain order of events in the world. The main message is that oppressive, beast-like rulers will come, one after the other, getting worse and worse. But there is a kingdom to come that is more powerful than all these beastly kingdoms. And that is the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ. That is God's kingdom. And so in the middle of this terrifying vision, we have a poetic vision of both the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Let's look at that ancient of days once again. Verse 9, I'll read through verse 12 again. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. The Ancient of Days is God Almighty himself sitting on his throne. The clothing, white as snow, represents his purity. The hair pure as wool represents his wisdom. The throne with wheels of burning fire represents the extent of his reign, not limited to one place or time, but goes everywhere, bringing judgment, power to destroy all the wicked beasts. So what is God doing here? He's giving his suffering people hope, a vision He's assuring God's people in exile that although it may not look like it, although it may not feel like it, their God is indeed on the throne. He sees and he knows and he will act on behalf of his people. And he has the wisdom. He has the wisdom to judge rightly. He has the purity to do what is right and just. Psalm tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne and he has the power to enforce his judgments against 
the most powerful wicked of this world. There are none who can stand against him. Even this fourth beast, this one that stands out from all the rest, that's worse than all the rest. It's terrifying. Listen to the language that is used. Terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong. And yet, when it is confronted by the judgment of the ancient of days, it is killed and destroyed and burned with fire. Verse 21 says, The little horn from this beast made war with the saints. So it is a fearsome enemy. It prevailed over them until, what a great little word, until the ancient of days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Beloved, all of God's people will be vindicated. They'll be set free from their suffering. And they will enter into a glorious kingdom to reign with the Son of Man forever. What hope there is. But how can that happen? How can this powerful evil beast be destroyed? How can the saints be given the kingdom? It looks awful. How can it happen only because of the coming of the Son of Man? Let's look at that passage again, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel chapter 7 shows us God Almighty, Yahweh, sitting on his throne above all. And the last beast is destroyed before him. And then, in contrast to the beasts who come out of the sea, Daniel sees one coming out of heaven. And we need to notice the contrast here. These evil rulers are like beasts. But then this one is like a son of man, a son of Adam, a true human. He is like a human, but not just any human. He's the true human. He's the one who has the right to the throne. He's one who embodies what human beings were meant to be, rulers under God Almighty. Again, it takes us back to Genesis 1 and creation. The beasts of the field and humans were set apart. Humans being made in the image of God. So humans were to represent God on earth. We were to live in his image. But what happened? They were deceived by a beast. They were deceived by a beast. They were fallen into sin, and they plunged the world into sin and death. So God removed them from his kingdom, but he also graciously gave them a promise. Promise of a child to be born to defeat the beast. Though the beast would bruise his heel. So we have this contrast to the beast. One like a son of man, a true human will come, but not just a true human. One who is also truly divine. The beasts come out of the sea. In the scriptures that represents chaos. The son of man comes with the clouds of heaven. Now if this was written today. You get a 
email with this written and you're reading it, there'd be a hyperlink on that phrase, the clouds of heaven. And you would click on it and it would take you back to maybe one of up to 70 passages in the Old Testament, such as Psalm 110 that we sang earlier or Psalm, or I'm sorry, our call to worship from Psalm 68 or Psalm 104. It would take you to a passage like this, Psalm 104. Oh Lord, my God, you are very great. Who's it about? The Lord, our God. Oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. You make the clouds your chariot. This son of man, truly human and truly divine. All nations and languages and peoples will serve him. What Nebuchadnezzar wanted, this one receives. And through this divine human figure, God will confront the beast and he will rescue those who suffer. The saints of the Most High will rule alongside this king as they were designed to do. So who is this son of man? What title... I wonder, do you know? Do you know what title Jesus uses more than any other? I'll give you one guess. <laughs> Son of man. Jesus presented himself as this human divine figure. He claimed this title. So when people say Jesus never claimed to be God, the obvious problem is they're blind and their hearts are stone and they need the Holy Spirit to awaken them. Because it's all throughout the scriptures. Jesus is truly divine, truly human. He claimed this title for himself. When he was arrested, and he's he's brought before the high priest, and Caiaphas asks him, are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus' answer is a combination of Psalm 110 and Daniel 7. Jesus knew the scriptures. And he applied them to himself. So Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man. He's thinking of Daniel chapter 7. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. That's Psalm 110. That's why we sang it for our opening hymn this morning. Daniel 7, Psalm 110. You'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus, confined by these men that he created, in their minds anyway, they've arrested him. They're putting him on trial. They think that he is under their authority. He is under their power. And they're abusing him, and they are mocking him, and they are tormenting him. And Jesus calmly says, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you imposters, Caiaphas, the time is coming when you and your fellow beasts will see the Son of Man, not as a prisoner in your dock, but as the judge on the throne. But how did Jesus ascend to this throne? How did he defeat the beast? Peter wanted to take out the sword and fight. It's not what the Son of Man did. Jesus ruled the beast by giving up his life. 
by dying on the cross. Jesus viewed the cross as his throne. His execution would become his exaltation. Jesus hates wickedness and oppression and evil more than any of us ever can with a holy hatred. And he hates what it does to his people. And so what he did is he raised himself up on the cross and said, let evil do its worst. Bring it on me. He would bear it in his own body on the tree. It would bruise his heel, but he would crush its head. And so he overcame evil by his divine life and love, by laying down his life, by taking our sin in his own body on the tree and bearing it in his tomb. Beloved, as many say, the tomb is now empty, but the throne is not. The tomb is empty, but the throne is not. The Son of Man has come. He's inaugurated his kingdom already. He's defeated the beast, and he reigns, and he will come again, and we will reign with him. So do not fear the beast. And don't become like them. They lie. They murder. Their doom is sure. They have been and will be defeated. Instead, fear and worship and serve King Jesus. Follow him. Strive to be like him in the power of the Spirit with the new life that he has given you. We follow his example of service, of humble, self-giving love. So when arrogant kings rise up, as they have and as they will, the people of God can look to a more powerful king. His name is Jesus. And all his followers are invited to live in the humble values of his kingdom now, even while we live in the midst of these kingdoms on earth. But it's heading towards this time. All nations, all peoples, all languages, worshiping together, the Son of Man receiving what King Nebuchadnezzar demanded in chapter 3. The oppressive rulers of this world will fail, but the Son of Man's rule will never end. Jesus is the true Son of Man. He's the one that we were made to be like. We weren't made to oppress others. We were not made to kill others. We were not made to exalt ourselves. That's what happens when we follow the beasts. We become like them. Oppression is this prolonged cruel or unjust treatment. I think it's appropriate for us today to ask ourselves the question, are we guilty of oppression? Are you? Are you guilty of oppression? Is it happening in your own home? Oppression of a spouse, of a child. Is it happening where you work, of employees? Is it happening in your neighborhoods, your communities, of races, of the unborn, of people who may be different from us, who see the world differently, who live according to a different moral code. Beloved, all people are created in the image of God, and all people are in need of the grace of God. And not a single one of us would have any hope were it not for God extending his grace to us, sending the Son of Man to die in our place. When we embrace these God-given truths and values, we won't be like the beasts. We won't oppress others. Instead, we'll be like Jesus, and we will love and serve others. As you embrace 
the grace of God, you reflect his image. You extend that grace to others. When you don't do that, you act like a beast. When you do embrace his grace and reflect it, you reflect his image. What's the world's answer to oppression? What's the world's answer to oppression? Yes, there's hatred for oppression. There's, there's a right acknowledgement that it is wrong. But it seems there's this desire to take down oppressors and then empower those who were impressed to then take the throne and in essence become the new regime of oppression. But there's no hope in that. There's only hatred and judgment. There's this cycle of beastly rulers. What is God's answer? Yes, he hates oppression more than we do. He sees it in places we don't. He delivers from oppression. He sets prisoners free. And yes, the beastly oppressors are judged, but there's a vast difference. There's hope for both those who are oppressed, but also for the oppressors, because both are in need of rescue. And God offers it to both. So not only are the oppressed set free, praise the Lord, but the oppressors can also be set free from their own bondage to corruption, set free to oppress no more. God can change their hearts and their lives so that they turn from their idols of power and authority and control and begin to worship and serve the living and true God, to worship the Son of Man and become like him, to reflect his image, his character, his priority. What's evident from this vision is that Jesus, the Son of Man, is the only human able to rule as God designed. He's the only one who can have that power and that authority of the throne and yield it rightly for the glory of God and the good of all people. He is the only righteous and just one. He is the only one able to change our lives so that we become like him once again. And it's only through him that we can enter his everlasting kingdom. Here again how this fascinating, terrifying chapter ends. Verse 28. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel kept the matter in his heart. He was alarmed. His color changed. It was unsettling, scary news but he kept the matter in his heart. Perhaps like Mary, who treasured up all these things in her heart when the shepherds came and they said, this child to be born is the savior of the world. Or perhaps like the psalmist who said, your word have I stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, what we treasure in our hearts makes a difference in our lives. What we put before our eyes determines how we walk. That's why Psalm 26.3 is a fitting theme verse for our study through Daniel. Your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Beloved, we must keep God's truth, his promises, his character, his reign, the coming of Jesus. We must keep it in our hearts, before our eyes, so that... 
We will walk in the truth so that we will live for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. Hold these things in your heart. Do not fear or serve the beasts and do not be like them. All peoples, all nations, all languages were made to fear and serve and worship the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, truly human, truly divine, God in the flesh, the only one who can conquer the evil of sin. The only one who can conquer the evil of this world. The only one who can conquer the evil of the great beast, Satan. The only one who can conquer the evil in our own hearts. Jesus can transform us so we no longer live like beasts, but live and love like him. Glory be to God. Beloved, God is at work in you. He's begun a good work in you, and he's going to bring it to completion. He's going to make you like Jesus. He holds the last day, and what is in that last day? It is you, his people, united to his son, given the kingdom as people of the saints of the Most High, reigning forever. It's a fascinating chapter. It's amazing. Daniel 7 shows us the glory of Jesus, the Son of Man, who alone can bring us into his everlasting kingdom and make us saints to reign with him. Amen. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.